0: Good morning and welcome to Grace and Peace Church. I am Vincent Hoppe. I am the pastor here. We've been meeting since March 3rd and what we've been hoping to do is be a church that is about the renewal of Colorado Springs that we would actually usher in, welcome in, bring in What we are hoping for that Jesus is is bringing with himself. That is the kingdom. That is That this world would reflect the values and goodness of Jesus Christ. And we live that out, hopefully, in our homes. When we go to our workplaces. uh, Whenever we go to the rock climbing gym. That is where we live out this kingdom calling, this this uh, life that we have. And so that's how we do it. Oh yes, you could you could yeah, hide that away from me. And so that, yes. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> but we do that by connecting with God is one of the things that we talk about and so connecting with God we hope that you experience God here this actual presence and that changes you to be a different type of person come Monday heck hopefully it changes you to be a different type of person while you're sitting in these seats and you know you, you feel grumpy about the person who's sitting next to you and he's a little too close and you're like I don't know about this person you know that, that feeling hopefully it starts to change and work on you that way and when you end out outside of these doors you bring god's presence into the world with you that's the desire that's the hope that you would actually experience god here and how do i know that god is actually working here it's because people are confessing their sins to one another in city groups people are praying for one another people are actually changing which is kind of crazy to think about, that God would actually change you. He doesn't just kind of affirm you like you're perfect the way you are and just leave you there. You know? <laughs> That'd be very sad, especially if I look in the mirror and be like, eh, you know, there's things that need to happen here. But we have, we have gone through. A few weeks of understanding who Jesus is and what he does, he identifies himself as through these I am statements through the book of John. So we've gone there, but now we're jumping into ancient wisdom, which is nice little pithy sayings and stories to help form and shape a person. So we're going to have a series called Ancient Wisdom for the Modern, modern Age. Ancient Wisdom for a Modern Age. And so why is this needed? It's because we all ask questions like How do I spend my money wisely? Should I buy a house? How in the heck do I retire early? How do I have the good life? Uh, How can I be a good husband? How can I be a good wife? How can I be a good student? How in the world can I get a job, especially if you're 35 and still, you know, just, just kind of stuck? How do I get a job? That's a question we ask. How can I be a good friend? How, can, how in the world can I actually live the single life nowadays? Because it is hard. How can I keep from regretting the things I say? How can I keep my kids from asking me every second, every time I turn a corner and they see candy in the grocery store, Daddy, can I get that? How do, how do I do those things? We ask questions of, of, on Google all the time. How do I do something? We ask advice lines all the time, all of us. And so for the rest of the summer, we're going to be exploring wisdom literature of the Bible, the books of Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And why are these even in the Bible? Why are they in the Bible? It's because God wants to form and shape his people to be his missionary agents in the world. That they are to reflect his goodness, his character, his personality into the world. And so when they see you and your actions and the way that you actually care for someone else, the way you actually sacrifice for someone else, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you treat your roommates, people will begin to understand that this person reflects the true character of God. And that's the desire. That's what we're hoping. And that's why it's in the Bible. It's so that Israel would have been shaped and formed to be a type of people that instinctually they would know how to react and what to do in all their business dealings and everything. That's why it's in the Bible. So what is it it not? It is not a promise book. The book of Proverbs is not a promise book. Why do I say that? You know that one saying, it says, uh, raise them up in the way they should go, and when they get older, they will not depart from it. And so some people have taken this to be a promise, like hold, you know, just boom. And do you know what happens when your child goes wayward? Then you look back on your life and you feel guilty and you think, ah, obviously I did not do it right. Right? Like, I didn't do it right. I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. And here's the deal. That is not the way the book of Proverbs operates. It's called Proverbs because it's proverbial wisdom. So generally, this is the way it goes. It means that if I train my child uh, to... Let's, let's do this one. Uh, play the piano. I, of course, I'm not training him. We're going to get lessons. If you know me, I'm like anti-musical. I actually suck the musical talent out of the room. That's what happens. <laughs> We'd be awesome if I wasn't in the room, trust me. Um, but So I pay for these lessons so that my child will, will learn like functionally and instinctually how to do things on the piano. And generally, it works well. Generally, that's the way it goes. If he gets training, in the same way, we train people to do things like, uh, in the same way we would train a dog, and my dog needs to go to the restroom in one spot in the entire yard. I train him to do that, right? And if I train him, then he's going to do it, right? Well, generally, generally, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and you're laughing because you know you have a dog that you've trained not to get on the couch, and he gets on the couch. You know it. And so it's proverbially true. If you take it as a promise book, as if it was like uh, x plus y will equal z, then you're gonna you're, you're gonna destroy yourself and possibly even your children and every anyone else in your wake. It's not a scientific textbook either. It is not to be read as if this is a formula. Okay, so proverbs is working a lot of times in relationships. Go ahead. Treat a person like a formula. See how that's going to go. You know, treat your spouse as a formula. Men, we always joke around and we say things like, you know, I don't understand women. Right? And then people like to say, oh, well, just read the book of Proverbs. It'll tell you. No, it won't. You know? <laughs> it's a person. You know, if, if the Bible was like working as if it was like a magic eight ball that I could shake it and it would get me the answers that I wanted, then, like, man, I would not need to do so much relational work. All right? And so it works with relationships. Relationships but to help us have instincts so that we can navigate those relationships. That's what it's doing. It's proverbial wisdom in order that you as a person, as you interact with it, will begin to become a person who can reflect God's character into the world as you navigate relationships, as you navigate your workplace, as you navigate the roads of Colorado Springs with those nice, angry drivers, and, and bicyclists you know they you never know what the cyclist is going to do you know they're just going to jet out in front of you according to tim i'm always in my lane i don't, i think i think tim's always going after me my friend um and so how do we navigate this kind of world how can we be wise is a question and then the question is all yeah, another question that comes up though is so who can be wise who can be wise here's the answer There's no age requirement on who can be wise. You can be a fourth grader and you can be wise. You can be a fourth grader and you can be wise. Why? Because even fourth graders, believe it or not, are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. And so as an image bearer of God, you can reflect his goodness into the world. And so you see with your eyes the way the world operates. At any age, we see how it's supposed to go. And we can learn from other people. And so all people can be wise. Anyone made in the image of God. But what do we do with wisdom? What do we do with wisdom? What do we do whenever we listen to NPR? Or, you know, we hear something cool. We, we learn a new little trick. You know what we want to do? We want to take this wisdom, this new knowledge, and we, also, we like to take it and use it for our comfort. You know, we, we like to uh, build up our wealth, uh, allow, you know, maybe manipulate and leverage my, my uh, significant other in order to, to, so that she does whatever I want and never gets under my skin. Ah, that's what we use it for. We use it for selfish gain, to build our kingdom, to reflect, hopefully, so that our world would reflect what we think is good about us. Or maybe we're just seeking a better way. To get through all the pain, the trauma, the hardships, the unexpected turns, twists, ups, and downs of this world, whatever it throws at us. And so we watch endless TED Talks. We listen to NPR nonstop, at least I do. We follow Life Hacker. We listen to Jordan Peterson. We read advice columns because someone is probably suffering from the same thing that I am, you know, like uh, uh, awake all night, dreaming about yogurt. I don't. Just something. And, and we read advice columns and see what they would say. We're endlessly searching for a way to navigate this painful and fallen world. These places and people, you know, they offer good wisdom. These things are offer good wisdom. But it, because, and they offer good wisdom because they're observing God's world. But ultimately, in our text today, in our one text that we have, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And elsewhere, in the book of Proverbs, it'll say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what are three questions in order to answer how to be wise? So our big question is how to be wise. How to be wise. Uh, the book of Romans, it says they did not fear God, and so they turned. They started following, doing whatever they wanted because they didn't fear God. And what that idea of fear means is means to covenantally or like to have a relationship to think about this person more than anyone else, and we'll get to that more in a second. So we've got to ask three, answer three questions. What is wisdom? How to get wisdom, and where does wisdom come from. So if we're going to be wise, we're going to answer how to how to be wise or how, how am I going to be wise? We need to answer three questions. What is wisdom? How to get wisdom? And where does wisdom come from? So what is wisdom? I'm going to read The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So one of the things you need to see first is that there is knowledge. There is instruction. There is something to know about the te- about in order to be wise. So what is wisdom? So one piece is knowledge. Knowledge. The next piece is going to be application. Notice then he says things like uh, to, to understand it more, to obtain guidance, to uh, understand a proverb and sayings and words of the wise. So you need knowledge to get more knowledge, to apply it, to actually live it out. So there's two things. There's this knowledge piece and then there's this application piece. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, when I was a, uh, I'm about to go on a cross country journey with my family, and back in the day before there was things called GPS or even MapQuest, there was this thing called the McNally Road Atlas, and it was huge. You know, you're like you cover your entire windshield with it, and I was the navigator. Lucky me with my angry dad. It was wonderful. Um, Here's the deal, right? I could know the numbers of the interstates and the highways that we needed to take. You can actually look at which exit numbers that they were and what cities you're going through and different things like that. There's a little bit of knowledge there, right, with a map. So it gives you some knowledge, but here's the problem. Is that wisdom? No. You want to know why? Because whenever your dad is yelling at you at which interstate to take next, you cannot tell him, well, you need to be in this lane. That And I'm also not able, able to help him understand how to drive. Okay? And so the thing is, is how do we take knowledge and apply it? Because otherwise, you're just reading a map. I got a map. Big deal. Okay? It doesn't help me drive. doesn't help me navigate what I'm going to face. The same thing goes by for turn-by-turn GPS. All right? I love turn-by-turn GPS. I never need to know what my destination is right? because it gives me turn-by-turn. No, it's going to mess you up. I guarantee it's going to mess you up because sometimes you plug it in there and it's taking you to who knows. Right? And so you need some knowledge to know, well, that's not the right place. You know, or that's not the fastest way to get there. Or at five o'clock in traffic, that is not going to work to be on Powers Boulevard. You know It ain't going to work. And so the way real knowledge or real wisdom works, though, is not turn by turn. Well, here's, here's another thing that turn-by-turn turn does, right? My favorite thing is, is watching people like my little brother who does turn- by turn, doesn't like to look at what's ahead. You know, I like to look at what's ahead. My little brother will do turn by turn, right? And then suddenly if you get on the interstate and then suddenly you have to, you know, navigate, you you suddenly have a left exit like in half a mile, turn by turn does nothing for you. You know that? It's not going to help you navigate five lanes of traffic traveling at 75 miles an hour with an angry semi-driver, you know, behind you and some guy riding three inches from your rear is not going to help you drive, Turn-by-turn turn doesn't help you navigate, and so using the Bible as turn-by-turn turn navigation isn't what it's meant to do. It's meant to form and shape you to be wise so that you can navigate, how in the world am I going to be able to get onto the interstate, navigate five lanes of traffic, come across without making anyone angry, causing a wreck, while, you know, freaking out my children, causing my wife to do this in terror the entire time, and she does that... So what wisdom is, is the ability to navigate all those relationships, to take even, you know, what you know by turn by turn and just kind of like live with it and navigate it. And so that's what wisdom does. It helps us navigate it. What is wisdom? It's knowledge or discernment and ability or application put together. J.I. Packer says that it is the practical side of moral goodness. That's a practical side of moral goodness. Or as one of my professors said, it is skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. First, it is a skill. It takes skill to navigate relationships, doesn't it? Come on. If anyone has ever dated you... First off, it took skill to get into the relationship. It probably it takes a lack of skill to get out of it usually. Um, and so, so in the relationship, you, you, it takes skill. You've got to know something. You've got to be able to apply it. You've got to be able to do it. And then it's art. The, second, the reason why it's art is because it is, um, you have to know when to apply it and when to do the right thing. It isn't always exact. It takes art. And then it's living, godly living. So you need to know something about God. And so what is it not? One, it is not more education. Uh, You can have a PhD and be a wreck at life. You could be terrible at life, and you chuckle because you know someone who's like, "My name is Dr. Mike," and you know he's like the world's most renowned cardiac uh, doctor, or cardiologist, and you know he's on marriage number fifteen or something like that while driving a Ferrari, you know, and you're like, "That guy, I don't know about him." He's not wise. You can have a PhD and be not wise. You have a having a PhD means you have an expertise in one thing. You're not even good for bar trivia, okay? (laughs) You can have a PhD and you're no help to my bar trivia team. No help. Like yeah, tell me uh, whenever you get a a dead languages. Whenever they talk about uh, I don't know Ugaritic, since you got a PhD in that, a lot of help that guy's gonna do. No. You don't need them. That's the thing. So more education isn't going to ma- uh, help you. I used to work at Washington University in St. Louis. The average uh, ACT score was a 35 of students at, at, uh, that were involved with Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. 35. In fact, one of them was a finalist on College Jeopardy. We still talk, so if he listens to this, I love him. Um, Laughter. And so you can have a great education and I often commented that they were some of the smartest dumb people I've ever met. Because they would know intellectually and I knew they would know but they could never apply it. They could never apply it. Maybe it was lack of common sense or ability but that's the thing. They had it up here but they didn't have it out here. So education isn't going to be the thing that saves you. It doesn't make you wise. Uh, what's another thing? You know, people usually look to older people to have, you know, who have some age. So guess what, though? Just because you're older doesn't mean automatically you're wise. Uh, just example, think about your parents for about 15 seconds. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, they do ridiculous things, don't they? They do ridiculous things. Oh. And so uh, you, just because you have more experience, we must remember that you know situations are not the same. Maybe they've experienced something, they've gone through an experience, but their situation isn't necessarily the same as yours. And if they were to apply the same rubric, the same solution to your situation, it could end up in a train wreck for you. It doesn't mean you're wise. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're going to be able to navigate relationships better. You could still be a train wreck in in your relationships. And so age doesn't necessarily make you wise. It's very helpful that you've had all these experiences, but it's not wisdom. It doesn't guarantee anything. And now here's one that hits home. Do you know what else is not wisdom? Theology. Theology theology is not wisdom Uh, a lot of people think hey maybe if i'm able to study my you know systematic theology and i filled my brain up i would know everything that god could possibly know as if somehow my teeny little brain could fit in everything that god could possibly know tell me that is not the height of hubris i mean that is awful you know and so my tiny little brain if i knew everything god would know my brain would probably explode all right but here So theology, we like to think that if we could see everything from God's perspective, we would know the right path to take. And so do you know what we do? We take knowing God and thinking about God to like using him as a crystal ball. We take the Bible into this crystal ball and be like, give me wisdom. And like, so we search everything like I know what God would know. And so here's the default. If someone knows a lot of theology or have theology books, a lot of people tend to think, I'll go to them. They'll know. I don't know. Do you know how a a good theologian knows or has wisdom? It's when they say this. I don't know. Maybe I should pray about it. If you have a pastor or someone in your life that says, I don't know, they're on the brink of wisdom. You want to know why? Because they realize that they don't have the mind of God. And so they must ask him. And so, what is this what is wisdom for? We need to ask ourselves. And it says in in verse 3, it says, What is wisdom for? For righteousness, justice, and equity. It was for the good of the world God gives wisdom. It is not for me building up my little kingdom. And wisdom is not education, it is not age, it is not theology, it is the ability to take knowledge, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and to apply it. So they must come together. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. And wisdom is for the world. It is not for you. So how in the world do we get wisdom let me read some more. How in the world do we get wisdom? Uh, it says here, by this knowledge the deeps broke. Oh I'm, I'm, that is a wrong, wrong text. The wind blew me o- over here. Uh, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O oh, simple ones? Will you keep being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and I will make my words known to you. And then let's look at 2, 1 through 11. My son, and so this is like the father speaking to the son. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the fi- and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Uh, The reason why he watches over the way of his saints is so that they would reflect his glory and goodness into the world. That's why he gives wisdom. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. So everyone can be wise. Because there's a lot of wisdom out there. There's a lot of good things out there. But what's the very beginning of it? So we need to, oh, I'm sorry. We need to understand how in the world do we get wisdom. And so it, it, it's out there. We must, one, if we're going to get wisdom, we must confess that we're finite and have need. We must confess and not be wise in our own eyes. If you're going to be wise, you need to be needy. You know that? If you're going to be wise, you, need to be, you have to be needy. Um, and do you know how we, how we often do this? You know, we're, we're, Everyone's calling out for wisdom. We're looking for wisdom. And uh, because we... Kind of underneath, we, like, we need help. But we just need to be real with ourselves and say, say no, uh, uh, we do need help. You know, I'm not, I don't have it all together. Can you imagine being the type of person that never, ever needed help? That never, ever needed to say things like, uh, hey, Siri, or dear Abby, or my favorite word up, Alexa, or hello, mom. We need to confess that we need it. Because the fact is, is you all need it. We've all asked Alexa for something. We need, you know, and, and sometimes we, we need, we, we've all asked friends for help. And so it's available. And so the, it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's the deal. If you fear the Lord, you must realize that you're not the Lord. It's a confession that you're not God, that you don't have enough God in you or something in order to realize how strong you are. And so we need to do what James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. We must confess that we're limited and needy. You know, And it's really hard in our day and age to confess that you're, really, you know, uh, you're needy. You know, but, but if you do, you'll find yourself listening and seeking after understanding. You'll actually go out and say, hey, there's a lot to learn here. I need to learn. Uh, I, need to, I need to find out what, what God has for me. But here's the deal. Tell me what, if, if you've ever heard this. right? You make a decision, you do it, and then all of a sudden you want to say to yourself, you know, no regrets. No regrets. Even though what you just did was a complete complete train wreck you know if you're not the lord if you confess that you're needy you could actually say yeah i regret that decision it was stupid and you're free instead now we do this all like, a superficial little thing and we like to tell ourselves Haha, no regrets and we know the entire time and everyone's looking at you as, as often as you try to cover it up you know i know that you regret that That's why you say that. It's because you're insecure about what you did. How you made people feel. And all we want to do is cover it up and say it wasn't that bad. But maybe it was. And maybe we need to confess and ask that we actually need help. So one confess. It says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust with all your heart. Trust with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. So, one, confess. Two, uh, live in the word. Psalm uh, 111, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. And so you got to live in the word so it becomes an instinct. You got to learn about God's word in his world so that it shapes you, informs you. And it's uh, like catechism questions. You know, uh, from the tiniest of ages, my children, from, uh, I would uh, wipe their hineys on the, on the changing table. And do you know what I was doing as soon as I could do that? I was asking them one question Who made you? You want to know why? Because little kids, one of the first words that they can actually say is God. And so what happens is children, from the very beginning, in all of us, we, we can react. We can have instincts. And so if you ask my children, you poke them, they'll, they'll bleed out catechism questions. It's hilarious. <laughs> Don't poke them with anything sharp. Um, that's the thing. It says uh, in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. So practice makes perfect. Here's, here's the way it works. Have you ever like, gotten some kind of knowledge into your head? Like, ah, yes, that is true. And then you went and practiced it, and you're like, ooh, that didn't work out really well. And then you come back, and like, you read the instructions again, and you get that knowledge back in your head, and then you try it again. And you do better the second time. Here's, that's the way it works with the Word in God's world. You know things about the Bible, you know things are, are these are going to come true, and so you've got to work it out and process. And as you keep doing this, you keep practicing, you keep learning it again, you start to really actually learn it. It creates a feedback loop. Proverbs 9:10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, a beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge or rational knowing of the holy one is insight. So knowledge, so, so you have to actually have a relationship with God. You actually have to have relational knowing in the same way that a husband knows a wife or a wife knows a husband. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So live in the Word. One of the things you'll need to know, you'll continue to go back to, is that you have to confess that you don't have it all together. And you know what that's called? humility you look around for it, you need it and so lastly or here, lastly, you need to seek also what God loves seek what God loves is our chief end or our satisfaction glory the glory of God in the world do we want to see him known do we want to see him known and maybe we also though need to ask ourselves what do we love most uh, Tim Keller says it this way what the heart wants most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the, win, the will finds doable, and the emotions find desirable. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the will finds doable, and the emotions find desirable. That means if you love God more than anything, you will love the things that God loves. And if not, if you love yourself more than anything else, You're going to find yourself reasoning, doing logic, in order to back up whatever it is you want. You will use the Bible and a bunch of verses to prove that you're right. And sometimes that is against what God wants. Uh, I had this child. uh, I still do didn't get rid of her, uh, who at 18 months old would get in her car seat, and as I went to go and buckle her in, she would scream at me, no, and do this number. And I'm like, what is that? And then she would feebly, with her little tiny hands, try to buckle. if like, you're like, this is just torture. I just want to get out of my driveway. What are you doing? And she's like, gah, Click. Urgh, click at like eighteen months old. I'm like what is this? What is going on here? Right? But oftentimes I think that's the way we are, right? We think we're wise in our own eyes. We never ask for help. We never confess that we're limited and tiny, like an eighteen month old trying to buckle their seat their, their, their seatbelt. And here's the deal. Some of us are just older and more sophisticated trying to buckle our seatbelt. But what we really need to do is we need to confess that we need help. Seek that help out and live in God's world. And that's what will change us. But where does this wisdom come from? Where does this wisdom come from? For the Lord gives wisdom, it says in Proverbs 2, 6. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It comes from above It's not from our internal resources realizing the potential we have uh, of, you know, the the potential of God in us. You know, don't be wise in your own eyes, it says. It's not from our internal resources. We can't save ourselves. And so God in the Proverbs doesn't just give this book a proverb so that the people can suddenly uh, uh, realize that, oh, they can do it on their own as if like they're a little child trying to buckle themselves up right that is not what he's trying to do he's like all right here's the book of proverbs now go save yourselves no he's trying to create in them an instinct so that they would confess and say that they need help where does this wisdom come from it says fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge there's this guy named alex honnold who uh free soloed which means free climbed el capitan and they did a little scan of his brain, and they found out that in the amygdala, where all the fear receptors are, he actually—it was actually a—it uh, it came back blank. He has no fear, and that's why they call him No Big Deal, Alex Honnold. No big deal. So he goes and climbs like El Capitan's, like, oh, you know that that ain't that bad. I'll do it with a child on my back. I even read him saying something stupid like that. I'm all like, that is so dumb okay it's unwise Uh, here's the deal it says fear of the lord Uh, imagine if you didn't fear the one you had a you had a relationship with see alex honnold has a girlfriend in this uh documentary called free solo where he goes to climb and, and he has no fear he has no reference for her and so she's like why doesn't he ever think about me well i wonder why he has no fear no no fear of doing of like letting you down of of dying and making you sad he doesn't really care you know and and here's the deal also she dropped him two times i would have broke up with her then but anyway anyway i digress and so it's not from internal resources it says fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge and this fear also often has this kind of like uh, this You live in reference to somebody. Uh, I think it would be appropriate to say in my relationship with my wife, I fear my wife. Why? Because whenever I do something, like I am at the store, and uh, uh, how about I'm on, I'm on the computer and I see a really fancy bike and I want to buy a new bike, I remember my wife. It's called, that's the way it works. And so in this world, in this world, fear, it's not that scary. (laughs) Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to be smart? You got to know your place. You got to reference yourself into that. We need to understand that uh, it also says uh, later in the book of Proverbs that let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And who is the one who has steadfast love and faithfulness? Guess what? It's not you. See, God's people who receive this book of Proverbs, they're going to mess up over and over and over again. But it is the Lord who is not going to quit on them. He doesn't give up. We, you know, we may know what's the best thing to do, but sometimes we don't have the resources to do it. But in God, we have true integrity, someone who knows what is best and actually has the power to do it. And on the cross, what we see is we see a God. We see true wisdom. Someone coming down. Something doing doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. True wisdom comes from above and is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. That's true integrity. Even when we mess up, He comes and gets us. And that's the wisdom from God. And see, God loves us and He sacrifices Himself for the other. You want to have wisdom? You want to do what is right? Put that one in, in front of your view. A God who gives up. A God who sacrifices. A God who loves you even though you've messed up. A God who won't quit on you. A God who will make all things new. That's true wisdom. And on true wisdom we see in true wisdom at the cross we see it being torn apart and given for others. You want to learn how to be wise? Learn how to sacrifice. Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Let us pray. Gracious Lord and God, I pray that we would see in this table your goodness, your love, true wisdom broken and given so that we would be transformed into a wise people who know what to do. A people who could care and love for others. A wise people who would show your goodness, your love, your sacrifice to others. Help us to love and sacrifice for those we live with so that we may navigate the terrain of relationships. Help us to release our demands on others. Help us to love roommates well. Help us to love our parents well. Help us to learn... By fear of the Lord. By fear of the Lord. And may that begin to be our wisdom. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be transformed for the sake of your world. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So at Grace and Peace, we come forward for the Lord's Supper, and so we're going to start on these outside rows. You're going to come toward two people. There's going to be two people there, two people here. You'll take bread. We take from a common loaf to signify that we are one body and that there is one true wise one, one true wisdom that we all need, and it's to confess our need we take from this one loaf. We take from Jesus Christ himself. So you'll come, you take and you eat that. We have gluten-free bread up here. And then you will take, uh, there's juice on the outer rings and wine on the inner rings. So you eat, you drink, and then there's going to be two ladies on the ends there to pray, Danielle and Margot. Uh, Margo we'll be there to pray for you. Especially if you are a child and you have not yet, uh, the child has not made a profession of faith yet. We, we want them to, to profess their faith. And, but we want to pray for them. But Or if you're going through hard stuff. If you want to confess your need, confess to someone and they'll pray for you. We'll call on the resources of the true wise one who gives freely. That's why we do that. But, we come forward as people of faith. And if you don't know what you believe yet, if you're not sure where you're at, if you're a little confused, come, for, come, come talk to me afterward. Uh, but if you know, if you don't, you don't trust the Lord, you don't trust Jesus for your sins, you don't trust Him in this world, it's okay. Just observe. Let it pass you by. We don't want you to do anything inauthentic to where you are. But this is a table and you are invited to come feast on true wisdom, Jesus Christ. And if that's your profession, if that's true of you, then this table is for you. Therefore, let us proclaim our faith is signed and sealed in these elements Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, after giving thanks, took bread, he broke it, and he said, This is my body. Take of it and eat. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his death on our behalf. True wisdom and self-sacrifice for you. Let us pray, Our gracious Lord and God, as we come to your table, I pray that we may do so in faith, and that in it we may confess our need, and that we may proclaim you as the true wisdom that we most desperately need. We ask, we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Matt Bostrom around? Yeah. Uh, Micah you can hope. (laughs) Congratulations. But let us come and let us feast on the Lord who gave himself for us.